does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Charles McDonald, by the way, joins us now. Is not a native of Michigan, but rather a native of essentially the entire Southeast. Yes. <laughs> Went to college in Pennsylvania, lives in New York, writes for Yahoo, and is here till Sunday. So, Charles McDonald, I will ask you the first softball question, which is, in your opinion, the storyline of the 2024 NFL Combine is? Wow. That's a great question. Uh, I think the story is kind of guys not wanting to do this as much as they used to in the past because i think i've been someone me and my friends as we've come up through this business one of the big things that we've always been fascinated by is uh kind of like combine data and figuring out for what positions trying to figure out what drills translate onto the field the most uh that was much easier about five years ago maybe than it is now because now if you start looking through combine data and seeing you know what drills guys are doing the agility drills are not really being done uh all that much anymore by prospects overall so i don't know if that's just like the commercialization of the draft and trying to put in the primetime slots where people just kind of overtraining to just to get the 40 right and not focused on too much else but uh, i think it's interesting how this uh event has seemingly become less important to the people actually going through it um and i want to see like how we can track that moving forward obviously you know it's important to come here and get your medicals and get your interviews done and that's the most important thing probably for them but i still like the on-field portion of it and it's, it's, a, it's a little you know disappointing that we aren't getting that to the full experience are we anymore. starting to see that and, and i'm going to say this try to say this in as much a non-cynical way as possible right but we are we starting to learn charles mcdonald that some of the things that we were preached upon for years as being so critical of the combine actually are were that was all BS. Uh, in what sense? We, the combine's the place where you, that, that's where players are made, and and the the shuttle drills, and the 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 broad jump, and the the standing. You know how fast a lineman can run the forty in a diagonal right. fashion in case an alligator's chasing him, and those are critical things you can learn. Right. And now all of a sudden, that, now that we can see all of that, and people realize there's not much to it, then all of a sudden everybody's saying, well, you know, it's actually more the individual workouts. Yeah, more the individual workouts, and really where guys, I guess, where they feel comfortable working out. Uh, excuse me. I, I guess you're going uh, to – one of the frustrating things is you're not going to get, like, a standardization of time, right? Because someone from their pro day – you know, Caleb Williams at USC, maybe he'll get time different there than he would here, and that's, you know, not the end-all, be-all. But uh, I think you're, you're starting to learn that maybe the actual times for these results aren't as important as they used to be. Um, and I just wonder, you know, if we're going to get to a point like, is this – event as a whole like kind of obsolete from a media perspective uh shoot we even have marvin harrison today just not show up to his podium session <laughs> and you know what now the, dumb question mm-hmm. marvin harrison jr is yeah. or is not here no i know he, i know he didn't speak but is he in indianapolis he's not working out either right i don't think he's here anymore but he did get measured and weigh in okay so he was here at some point but the the the, the truth of the matter is is that doesn't matter for him. Like, for him not running here, for him not uh, doing his podium interview, we've all seen him play, yeah. right? We know his pedigree. So I think we're almost coming back to a point where you can kind of block out some of the extra noise and just focus on the field. Like, what do these guys do best? Because you're not going to have as much information on them maybe as you did in the past or a few years ago. So uh, film is king again. Would, would Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and listen, I know – I mean, I've seen him in – to me, he's a Heisman winner. I mean, I right. was like, this guy was. But does Marvin Harrison Jr. get the same predetermined expectation of what he's going to be if his name is Marvin McDonald? I don't think so. I don't think so. But would he still be a top five prospect? Yeah, I think so. But like this expectation that right. he's going to come in and be the number one because guy. you think of him at ohio state and then in the exact same thought you think of his dad juggling a pass against the patriots in the corner of the end zone right right and you're like right. oh wow and Here it's, we go. it's just like oh wait is he his, is he his dad but bigger i don't know but uh <laughs> which is fascinating because I, I think when you watch him play he's got all the skills and also bro if i went from cj stroud 
to Kyle McCord, and I put up the same exact stat line, now I'm not running Indianapolis either. <laughs> yeah. I'm certified, you know? <laughs> right. I did it with the number two pick in the UDFA. What, do you need, what else do you need to see? For players that are more the round three, four, or five guys, and we still see high-level contributors in that range just because you're not a top pick doesn't mean you can't have a highly successful career in the NFL. What helps them elevate their stock more? Still this event or their pro days? Um, I think this event, because this is the first time you get to start to meet with people, right? So for them, it's important. Uh, I, I, I still think for like the round two and on guys, it's probably important to, um, excuse me, to come here and do this uh, workout because all you can do is you, you can hurt yourself for sure, but you can also make a ton of money. Yep. Like if you if you come in and kill it. I mean, how many people uh, after yesterday are maybe readjusting the pains they had on Chop Robinson or uh, you know another guy from Penn State like Curtis Jacobs who maybe you didn't know who he was before, but he's the only linebacker here over 240 pounds. He ran a four or five, so now you're going to go back and you're going to check it out and maybe see if you can find something. So uh, I still think there's a lot of value for guys who who aren't going to be in that top tier, but I do think it's interesting. Like guys. A lot of guys are opting out the three cone, the short shuttle. I think we still have like a lot of broad jumps and verticals, but uh, for, as far as like the running pro- part goes, it seems like they just want to run a forty, get tested, talk to the teams, and, and be out. Um, and yeah, it, it's kind of hard to say how much it matters because I don't think it's had an impact on, like the NFL product or really the draft. The draft is still just as random as ever. So uh, maybe maybe uh, this is a, a, a change in the guard in, how, in terms of how we look at the combine and how useful it is. Chris Ballard calls you on the phone. Charles McDonald, Yahoo Sports, our guest. Chris Ballard calls you on the phone. Mm-hmm. Charles, hey, you know, it's Chris Ballard in India. I can't even do a Ballard impersonation, but I'm sitting with my arms folded like, yeah. I'm, like I'm in charge of the room. and I've got a hat. i got a flat brim hat on, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and he says, look, we're on the clock. You know, we're, we're at 15, and then he, he bats his eyes, and he gives a southern drawl, and he tries to, to rope you in. And then he says, Charles, you, you know this draft. The position right now that we are in need in Indianapolis that has the most depth, so there's going to be a great player at the front, but also one that maybe I can get into or wherever else. What do I do? You say what? I take as many cornerbacks as you can, probably, right? That's where I would go for Indianapolis because – uh, it's not just that to me that's a spot of need that they probably could use another high level guy at one because you can never have enough corners two you got CJ Stroud in your division Trevor Lawrence is in your division three uh, we don't know yet, know yet whether or not they have a p- consistent pass rush right also the, also that as well um, and this year I think it's a great year to kind of double up this, the the guys at the top are really strong uh you know, Alabama has a duo uh, with Kool-Aid McKendry and Terrion Arnold, uh, Iowa cornerback. Cooper DeJean is going to be in that mix. Toledo even has a guy in Quinion Mitchell. I like to say Kool-Aid's in the mix. It works out perfectly. That is that? a good yeah. one. Yeah. Thank you. That's Thank why you're the radio professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but uh, okay, so to that point, though, with corners, it's an interesting point for the Colts. Um, there are good ones that are going to be there at 15, but I guess the question is, Charles, do they need to make a rush on corner because – the quality of it drops down by the time they're back on the clock again. Well, I I would say yes because I think that that's one of those positions where you can never have enough premium talent. I mean, playing cornerback in the NFL is extremely difficult. So I think the more players you can add at the top of the draft who are you know maybe a little bit more proficient and uh, athletic and come with that pedigree, it can't hurt. And then you double up on the back end. Uh, yeah, you know, I would say that this is this is a, if you if you're looking for like a top end cornerback, I think that this is a good class to at least roll the dice. You know, there aren't any Jalen Ramsey level prospects that are going to go top five, but uh, maybe with some guys who run this weekend, if they hit go forty times, you know, that stuff kind of gets double counted sometimes. You know, someone's fast already, but they run a four three. You're like, oh wow, I didn't know he was fast. <laughs> uh, so maybe that can get them up into like the top ten area. But I think if you're looking at fifteen. That's the sweet spot to roll the dice and see if you can find someone who's going to be a, a, cor- a cornerback one for you because uh, there's a lot of talented guys that can fill that mold. What should the Colts be most focused on this offseason? Charles McDonald is our guest from Yahoo Sports. What should the Colts be most focused on this offseason? Supplying Anthony Richardson with weapons or figuring out how to get prospects to slow down C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, and to some lesser extent, Will Levis? See, it's, it's, that, this is... I've thought about this for the Colts too because at, at, at some level like Anthony Richardson he has 
like the Cam Newton gene where I can, I can run this show by myself sure. if I have to. Um, but that's not how you want to play because we saw how quickly, you know, how quickly Cam Newton deteriorated throughout his career. And he was, you know, at his peak, he was arguably, you know, one of the top five quarter, quarterbacks in the NFL, MVP winner. Uh, so, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of merit to the idea that we could take some load off of Anthony because his own style of play is going to lend itself to he's going to be carrying a huge load this offense. So uh, depending on what happens with Michael Pittman, maybe wide receiver could be in play. Uh, even without that, you know, you, you could still always go for offensive line depth, running back depth, uh, running back insurance just in case, you know, the Jonathan Taylor contract doesn't work out in the way that you would hope. So uh, I don't think it's necessary for them to necessarily spend like a number one pick or a first round pick on an offensive guy. But, you know, in that top 100 area where you can still find a lot of value and obviously free agency can supplement this too. Uh, that's probably where you're going to look for more like Anthony Richardson help in that regard. You went to Gettysburg College, right? Yes, that's Gettysburg right. Gettysburg PA, is that right? That's right. Is that kind of cool for four years to say you had a Gettysburg address? Here's what I do, right? That's what I do. The first day of the, the very first day when you get there, though, uh, well, not, we were football players. We were there before, but when all the other students get there, they take the freshman class out to where he uh, did the Gettysburg address or whatever. And uh, it's kind of cool. It's kind of not cool. You know. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool, right? The, no, the coolest part is... You know, automatically, by the way, why? every game for Gettysburg, you play football Gettysburg College, yeah. right? 28 yeah. points every time, right? You know why? Right. Four scores. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wish you scored 28 points every game. Thank you, Ernest. <laughs> Thank you, Ernest. Um, did you like it there? I, I liked it good enough, yeah. But honestly, I thought the coolest part was if you go out into the battlefield, you can still find cannons out there, like... I mean, it's pretty cool, right? That's pretty wild. That's pretty cool. Maybe or maybe not snuck some drinks Like small out. cannonballs and stuff? <laughs> Honestly, like, I mean, there's stuff no, out there, right? like cannons. Full size? Yeah, not no balls. You, you obviously can't take them home, right? No, I mean, they're like, you can't even move them. Like, they're heavy. Really? Well, and they're also, like, rusted and, like, broken. But I mean, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah, we still may or may not have, like, sat on them and taken shots or lined up <laughs> shots. <laughs> on, yeah. Um, <laughs> Why not? That's kind of cool, right? Well, yeah. Hey, um, in terms of the Colts and Anthony Richardson, Charles McDonald, do you believe this is the burning question? And I've asked about everybody this week, and the answers are kind of all over the place. Have you seen enough from Anthony Richardson to be able to say, yeah, let's go? Um, yeah, I think so. Because even with the I, – I, I don't think that his – you know, however many games he played, it wasn't perfect. But the floor is so high. It's, it's much higher than I think people give him credit for because – you know, rushing production is, is still production. And even on, you know, some of the dropbacks that he had, you can just see, like, the high-end arm talent. What I about think the accuracy? Accuracy is probably a little bit of a work in process, but uh, progress. But I do think when you look at his process as uh, a passer going through his reads, I think he's still kind of underrated in that regard. But if you look at Josh Allen, like when Josh Allen was at Wyoming as a junior and everybody's like, man, you know, from his junior to senior year, his his numbers dipped significantly. And then people realized, well, a lot of that was who he was throwing to because his receiving core all left after his junior year. Mm-hmm. Did Richardson have that at Florida? Was it an oh, accuracy issue or was it lack of target issue? Uh, I think for Richardson it was, it was more the wide receivers than it was him. Right. Because, okay, cause I, you know, I've, I've been studying the draft and – uh, Ricky Pearsall, the Florida wide receiver, is here. And he's, like, a good prospect. But I was like, where was this when Anthony was there? You know, like, you were a big worker process, progress, and now you're, you know, a legit draft prospect. So I, I think with Anthony, a lot of it was the guys at Florida were not all that great. And, you know, they were introducing a new coach, and his scheme hadn't quite off the ground yet. Does too. he show, does Richardson, in your opinion, the proper – and I'm going to use buzzwords here, but the progression, the ability to, to drop back and analyze different options to throw the ball, process it fast enough, make the right decision. You know, that holds so many guys back. Right. Has Richardson shown in the professional level yet an ability to do that at the level that it's necessary? I think he can do it. I, I, think, he, I think he has done it. The problem is, like, you know, he, he's, it'll, he'll go through the progressions on time, find the right read, and maybe the, the pass will be a little off. You know, so I think the accuracy down to down is what he needs to, to work on. 
He's Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. Charles McDonald. Char- you know what happened? Someone did that to lo- me No, no, today. no, no. I was looking at your Twitter feed, and you've quote tweeted three Charles Robinson. He's talking about the splits. That's yeah. my fault. That's that was my, a Freudian slip. Yeah. Charles McDonald of Yahoo Sports. Nice now to take some time with us. Sorry about that. All good. Appreciate you, know, you making you know, time you, for us. You said LeBron's your favorite player. You kind of have the same beard. Have you? Know, is that by design? No, just by chance. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd rather have his height and athleticism. You, know? <laughs> you and me both. Gettysburg College agrees, right? <laughs> that's right. They well, they like wouldn't know too. me if I did. <laughs> that, that's true. That's a good point. Charles, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Charles. Thanks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin Bowen joins us now. Very smooth transition there. <laughs> what a bit of a delay, it appears. Uh, Kevin, your thoughts, Saturday or Sunday, that you would do like the traditional St. Patrick's Day beer at Connors? Well, yeah, I would say... Um the Irish Catholics are probably starting on Friday and continuing on Saturday and wrapping up on Sunday. <laughs> that would be my guess. I don't think they're going to be. Right answer. So yeah. which is the which is the designated actual day? Is it which one is it though? I, I what is March seventeenth a Sunday this year? I would yes. assume that is your official holiday. That's also Selection Sunday. So um, I, I guess in a in a way you've got another holiday there, but. Yeah, I, I'd assume you know a lot of uh, establishments will probably bump up any sort of activities or festivities they usually leave for St. Patrick's Day, maybe to Saturday. But um, you know, Connors, the Golden Ace, other staples will, uh, I, I would guess, have a large crowd on Sunday. You know, the um, selection Sunday being on St. Patrick's Day, Kevin, we're, we're a week, we're a week off, right? Like, isn't it usually? Isn't select? Isn't isn't St. Patrick's Day usually the first weekend of the tournament? Yeah, I feel like we are. Maybe not a full week, but certainly a couple of days. I mean, I remember a few years ago, Notre Dame was in the Dayton games, the playing games, and they won, and it was at midnight, and it was St. Patrick's Day midnight, and Mike Bray you know, talked about having Jameson on the flight. They were heading to San Diego after that for their you know round of 64 game after that. So, yeah, I, I do feel like March 17th is typically, you know, on that first weekend. So I do think with how the calendar's fallen this year, it's a little bit of a later start uh, to March Madness. Okay, let's begin with this. Kevin Bowen, our guest. And I want to get your thoughts on Caitlin Clark coming up in just a couple of minutes, Kevin, because we talked about that this mo- or, you know, today, and I, I think you guys did this morning as well. But uh, when you talked to Chris Ballard, you guys had him on. You were able to interview him. You asked him about some of the – you know, why it hasn't taken off just yet in his, I say just yet, it's been a while now in his era here. But what were your overall takeaways of your conversation with Chris Ballard? Yeah, I thought you know, maybe a hair shorter, more reserved than, than usual. I think when you when you listen to 32 GMs talk, I think Ballard typically is a little bit more candid than most of them. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe I was overreading it. Um, you know, part of me does think just, the inevitable of this is year eight and the resume is the resume. I mean, he, he's got to feel some of that. And I actually think there's more of a hot seat there than, than maybe most think entering this season. Uh, just again, given the lack of a resume through the first seven years, uh, certainly his expanse on some a- a- answers. I understand why he might've been a little bit more reserved with some others there. Um, I thought his answer on, you know, again, why, why hasn't this era gone according to plan from a success standpoint? I thought it was a big 180 from, you know, those those comments at his opening press conference, if you want to go way back to, you know, January 2017, when, you know, he emphasized several times in that day, it's not about one player. Um, it, it, in a way, you could certainly take the message that he said yesterday, and, and if you want to paraphrase it, um, the fact that quarterback has not worked out and he has missed at that position or hasn't been able to, I guess, figure it out would probably be the better way to put it. Uh, that, to me, is you know largely about one player. Um, so that is kind of a 180 on you know again his his original stance with that. So um, yeah, I, I I thought all in all it was just kind of a mixed bag uh, from him yesterday. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. weekdays in the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. Kevin, you brought up an interesting aspect of Chris Ballard's future, which is my most curious point every offseason in this era of Ballard is 
what's the real pressure for him? Is there a level of warmth on the seat or not? And you alluded to it a little bit there that maybe there is some going into this season. Is that tied to, in your mind, them making the playoffs, them winning the South, Anthony Richardson taking a step forward? Like, What, what is the check box for him this season where it is a good, successful job-based season for Chris Boward when we look back on it around this time next year? Yeah, I think it probably should be making the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's like a, um, you know, end-all, be-all. It's a disastrous season if you don't make it. Um, but if you're evaluating him, um, I do think that that resume needs to have more, you know, tangible results in the month of January on it. Um, so that, 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 that's probably how I'd view it. I mean, certainly circumstances always dictate things. And if, you know, Richardson, for some reason, has an off-injured year or, you know, it doesn't go according to plan or you know, those sorts of things that could maybe impact where, you know, whatever your, your black and white evaluation in August and September is a little bit different as, as that year moves along. You know, obviously there's a belief in the defensive system with Gus Bradley. You know, if that does go according to plan, you know, could that be something of an evaluation point as well? Um, but I, I, I just think, and part of me, of this is like saying, I mean, isn't it time? You know, like I, just more confused than anything. And, and others, I, I do think there's a little bit of, you know, push from the ownership of, um, I mean, if you just simply look at the GMs hired right with Ballard or just before, just after him, and the guys that are still around, I mean, their their resumes just absolutely, frankly, dominate. You know, Chris's when you talk about playoff appearances, playoff wins, however you want to look at it, division titles, those those sorts of things. So, um, I would think to answer your question, it is it is a playoff appearance um, to make sure that you know this rebuild, this new era, is continuing to go down the path that you feel like it is on. And, and, and right now, I think you got to be very pleased with the early early part of what you saw in year one with uh, with Shane Steichen. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney on the wake-up call with KB and Andy on this radio station. Kevin, are we getting closer, and, and I say closer to, but, but it's fascinating to me with the NFL Combine. Are we going to come to the day, and maybe it's in a decade, where the Combine becomes basically about medical reviews and MRIs and in-person interviews and workouts themselves are all almost completely done independently on college campuses. I don't know if we're real close to it. Um, you know, outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., I, I, I can't think of many guys that are, you know, taking that sort of stance. I mean, there's 321 prospects. Well, don't a lot of the quarterbacks not throw now? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you're the couple of top guys. I mean, Stroud threw last year. Um, I, I don't believe Drake May and um, and Caleb Williams and Jane Daniels. I mean, if you're going picks one, two, three, and there's any question about your arm, you probably are not going to do that. So, again, I think when you narrow it down to percentages or numbers of it, I mean, 98% of the prospects are participating in some physical capacity as long as they are healthy. Um, so, you know, kind of go off of Ballard's answer from a few days ago. Well, not everybody's Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, they don't have that, that sort of resume in college that they can go go off of. Um, you know, in, in a player empowerment type of movement as it continues to go, and I just think in general professional sports continues to go down that, that path. And, it, you know, maybe we'll get there at some point, but I still think there's a lot of great, great work that can be done at the combine. I mean, if you, if you are a strong athletic tester in particular – I mean, it, I mean, look look what it helped you know Anthony Richardson do last season. I mean, it can be incredibly beneficial for you if you are able to you know put up great numbers and uh, you could say and, Stroud you know, as well. I mean, Kevin Stroud was going to be a top three pick, obviously, but that seemed to cement it here, didn't it? I mean, like when he, you remember last year? I mean, you and I were doing the show here. Would you agree? I thought last year Stroud was the buzz of the combine. Yeah, I, outside of Richardson, um, you know, certainly Stroud when he when he threw, yeah, without question. Obviously, Richardson was the one dazzling in those other workouts. Um, so maybe there is a you know point in time where 
it gets to that. Um, and and I, I mean, I understand where Marvin Harrison Jr. is coming from and that it is a bit odd that, you know, for really three months, or I guess two months, depending on your bowl situation, these guys have been training for a decathlon for, for a track meet, you know, very different than – uh, and they will continue to do it after this. They will continue to do it largely for their pro days. Um, of course, the NFL scouts would push back and say, no, we actually pay attention to these numbers. Like, it's not like we're just telling you to do these things and then there's no merit in them. We, we, we base draft evaluations off of it. And there's, you know, evidence behind it that, you know, whatever, a player that's his size and runs like that and jumps like that, their success rate is this in the NFL. So, you know, it's not like they're just having them do these workouts and then they don't pay any attention to it or there's little evidence that they end up using in the process. Uh, but at the same time, I understand Harrison that says, well, there's no real point in me training for a track meet when I am a football player and I want to make sure that whatever, come you know, spring offseason program or training camp, that I'm not you know, making up for lost time and I'm training for specific football type of activity. So I guess to answer fully, I don't think we're close, close to it, but – I could probably see that number right now of like one to two percent of guys. You know, maybe that 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 grows. You know, by a percentage point here in the next couple of years. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Colts beat writer from 107.5thefan.com as well as co-host of the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. 7 to 10 a.m. on these very airways. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Kev, I've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about the need for a philosophical shift to happen from Chris Ballard, even though it's unlikely to happen if I was him and I had done what I have done in terms of free agency the last couple of years, I would be much more aggressive on taking a big swing on one guy versus, you know, putting my eggs in two or three baskets for okay players that maybe turn into good players. That said, just as an exercise with this, what is more likely to happen if Chris Ballard was to do something philosophically different in an offseason than he's done in the past? Making a big signing for a key playmaker of, like, high dollar amount or trading up into the top ten to go get somebody like Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze to the top wide receivers on the board? Well, I, I don't know who the answer would be to your first one, so I'll opt to the second. Uh, Let's say I Mike just Evans, just for the sake of argument. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I, the, the class itself I know has kind of died a bit with T. Higgins getting tagged or Calvin Ridley. I don't know. A, a player like that. Yeah. Um, I guess if you put it in those terms, maybe I would opt for the signing. You know, you, could, could you view a guy like Evans and, and, you know, feel like he's mentoring whatever, a younger room or younger offense? Could he be a little bit of the, of the Reggie Wayne in 2012 for Andrew Luck? Could he be that for Anthony Richardson here in Richardson's first full season? Um, so maybe there. I, I, I still am like thinking, though, financially, boy, that's a whole lot in an offseason where I think he wants to bring back several of those top in-house guys. And if you do that, you're really going to shrink what your you know, outside the building cap space is going to look yeah. like for those free agents. The whole trade-up idea, I mean, moving from you know 15 to 8, I mean, that, that, that's a huge, huge trade-up. Um, especially for a position. And, again, you can look at this in a lot of ways. And, and I thought Ballard was extremely honest yesterday with us earlier in the week at the podium saying, I mean, this wide receiver class, I mean, it, it's historically good draft-wise. So how do you view it? Do you view that and say, okay, it's historically good. That means I can rely on its depth. Or do you say it's historically good? There's some potential Canton guys in the first round. you got to make sure you try and get one of those guys. So you can probably look at it in a couple of ways, Ballard's M.O. would probably be rely on a little bit more of that depth. But if you're going to say trade up in the top eight or trade up in the top ten versus you know, sign, let's say one of those guys does hit free agency, I, I, I'd probably say wait till free agency. But, you know, again, I, I, I wouldn't put the percentages at very high at all. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Of course, as I mentioned, you hear him in the mornings, KB and Andy, the wake-up call. Um Kevin, you tell me if you think I'm overstating it. But I actually let off the show today by saying, in terms of anticipation and potential like economic impact on the city and certainly for a franchise, I personally don't think 
that we can overstate the buzz and the aura that is almost generational within sport of Caitlin Clark coming to the Indiana Fever. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think there is super potential there because the bar is really low. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, if you just look at the attendance numbers or if you look at, you know, the season ticket numbers for the Fever, it, it's obviously not been at a high level. I mean, to be totally honest, they've probably been the laughing stock of the WNBA for the last you know, handful of seasons, and, and they have had so much turnover and, you know, front office and head coach and, you know, that you know, cut high draft picks and just haven't won a lot of games, frankly. Um, plus, I also think it, 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 it's a time in the calendar where you do have an opportunity. I mean, when you think about it from a local standpoint, you know, if you're talking fall or winter months, the competition level is Colts, it's Pacers, it's collegiate sports. It's, you know, certainly I think there's a decent attendance from a high school sports standpoint when you're talking about basketball, even high school football. In the fall, draw some big numbers. And when you look at the fever season, uh, I mean, that's, that's mid-May to mid-September. That's, that's not a you know, high-volume, high-traffic standpoint outside of, you know, obviously the month of May as you close that out in the Indianapolis Indians. But besides that, high school sports aren't really in session. And, you know, professionally, Colts and Pacers obviously – aren't going on as well. Sure, you still run into the – it's an indoor sport during an outdoor time period. That probably hinders some things. But, again, if you just surely went off where the bar is at right now, there's an opportunity to really, really tap into that. Um, and I know the NBA map is not the exact same as the WNBA, and, Jake, you see this full well at Pacers games, but I've always felt like – and I know it doesn't make for the greatest home environment at times inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse – but one of the real benefits the Pacers have from a night-in, night-out ticket standpoint is if you're a fan of an individual player from Cincinnati, if you live, I should say, in Cincinnati or Louisville or St. Louis, this is your closest NBA town. So if you want to go see Steph Curry or you want to go see Zion or you want to go see LeBron and you live in those big cities, this is your closest avenue. The WNBA only has 12 teams, but it's a similar map if you look at it. And, if, again, if you are – you know, whatever, young girls and parents of those girls, and you're in those cities, I mean, we saw it with the Big Ten schedule, and that's even still, you know, very Midwest-centric. If you reach out a little bit further, you would think the Fever are going to benefit from that. It's, it, it's amazing to even look at the secondary ticket market right now of Fever home games and to see what those numbers are. It's crazy to compare them to even, like, the Fever going on the road or certainly other tickets involving WNBA teams. So, yeah, I mean, the opportunity is just absolutely golden for them to capitalize on it. And, Kevin, and, and, I, I, and, I, I honestly believe they're going to sell out season tickets. I honestly believe that. Like 17,000 people? Yes. I think there's – well, whatever. I, I don't know how many – you know, they're, I'm saying their season ticket allotment. I, you know, I don't know how many of their of the seats are held for season tickets, but I'll bet you. What do they have? Twenty home games. Yeah, that sounds right. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. In the first year, I'll bet you, at minimum, fifteen of them are sold out. Yes, seventeen thousand seats. I truly yeah, believe well, that. I mean, I, maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, I don't. I, <laughs> It doesn't sound that far-fetched to me. I mean, if you just look at what the Big Ten attendance, you know, was for a lot of these games and just what she did. Um, again, I, I'm, I don't have a great grasp on exactly, you know, what the spring-summer appetite will be. Again, part of me thinks it will be there, but then – That's you know, fair. I mean, that's really... it's a different season. And, and you are the, – the one thing probably that is an obstacle, to your point, is that a lot of Caitlin Clark fan base – are young girls or young people with their parents who during the spring and summer are involved in travel sports, right? And and it's sure. different than a, a snowy night in Iowa City. But I, I'm telling you, I've been to Iowa. I've been I, I've been to the Iowa Speedway where she was there, and people were literally like stepping around Kenny Chesney to get a better photo of Caitlin Clark. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean you're only five and a half hours away. I mean in the grand scheme of things, that's. That's not very far when you when you think about I think a that, diehard. I, I think that was a factor in why she. I think that's a factor in why she comes out this year because 
it is Indiana, and she knows that there's no chance that she's going to get drafted by somebody farther away, and, and it's the second closest franchise to her home state. Well, yeah, I mean, it checks all the boxes. I mean, yeah, I mean, outside of Minnesota and Chicago, I mean, yeah, like you said, this is the closest WNBA team. Again, her boyfriend is here. She She's playing with, by all accounts, a generational post player in Aaliyah Boston. I think that's another side of it that doesn't get talked about enough, really, and I'm at fault for it. Like, my hand is raised in the air. I was talking with a couple people with the fever yesterday, and I'm like, I know Aaliyah Boston's really good. Can you put it into maybe NBA context for me just so our listening audience can get a better grasp? I shared this earlier today, and they were like, oh, she is Tim Duncan. I mean, and someone was like, oh, she's better than Caitlin Clark. Like, like, and think about it <laughs> when you put it into that realm, and that's who Caitlin Clark now becomes teammates with. I mean, what an unbelievably perfect sort of scenario for both parties. Obviously, for Leah Boston to have Caitlin Clark, and then Caitlin Clark to have her as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what a what a time! I, I I said it earlier today, and I mean, I, I was beaming when I saw the news yesterday. Just as a father of a young girl, I mean, I know what Reggie Miller and Peyton Manning did for me at a very similar age. Uh, I mean, I was born in 89, and think about that when you pair up Reggie's career and you watch it unfold. I mean, Rosie is three years old, my, my daughter, for her to you know, have someone like this. And who knows, maybe she won't be a huge sports fan, but just to have that opportunity. And Leah Boston's the same way. I know we had a girls basketball coach from Stony Brook call in a few weeks ago, mentioned that. Um, you know, that stuff just doesn't grow on trees. And for it to have you know, happened in this market, and obviously Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Richardson could be in that realm. Uh, it's just an amazing, amazing time for our city. And, and certainly the Fever deserved some luck with the lottery. You know, ping pong balls not bouncing their way before. And, uh, boy, what a time to capitalize on it. Kevin, big plans for the weekend? I have absolutely nothing on the docket, and I love it. Um, That's Notre the Dame best kind of weekend. Tomorrow night if, if you guys want to come over and watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so are we wagering on the Notre Dame-Clemson game? Am I going to have to sing a fight song again? I'm more of a Citadel guy myself. Well, I think that was pretty uncalled for there, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> it's a hot basketball team right now in South Bend. Winners of four of five. Uh, Michael Shrewsbury's bunch playing a little better late in the year. Jake, I think your Clemson Tigers are on the bubble for the 17th straight year. Correct. That you are correct, man. They are literally, <laughs> Brad Brownell, like every year, every year Clemson starts out like eleven and zero, and people are like, oh man, and then you know they end up seventeen and thirteen and on the bubble every year. But Notre Dame might pop it for them. We'll see. Kevin, enjoy it, man. Appreciate the conversation. Enjoy the weekend. You guys have a great weekend. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. NFL Combine coverage again on a Friday. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook. We're at the Indiana Convention Center. Joining us now, a guy that needs really no introduction when he walks around. He's with ESPN. And, of course, a vast executive career in the NFL, notably with the Miami Dolphins from 2015 to 2018. And the pride of the UMass Minutemen, Mike Tannenbaum, joins us here on the program. Mike, first off, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Indianapolis. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, let's begin with this. You know, when you hear now, because the buzz today is the fact, of course, a lot of interest here with Marvin Harrison Jr., even though the Colts are probably not in the slot for him, but for the obvious reasons. But Marvin Harrison Jr., not really coming and doing the things that we're used to in the combine. We're seeing more of that now. Is that of concern to teams, or is that becoming the norm where it's really the pro day that people focus on? Yeah, well, I think the context of that is Marvin Harrison can get away with it. It's not going to impact his economic remuneration, whereas, like, other people it would. So I think, like, they're the more notable players, but I think, by and large, a lot of them know competing here is good for them and will give them a benefit of the doubt. I talk to a lot of players in this process, and I always tell them that, like, you want to be a a whenever, whatever guy. Like, you want me to, you know, throw in the cold in the parking lot? Let's go. You want me to run a 40, you know, in the backyard? Let's go. Like, those are what people are looking for because, you know, Coach Belichick always drilled it in our heads in any draft means. The two things that when you go from college to pro, you're going to have more time and more money, and how are you going to react to those two things? And I'm curious of this from, you know, there's so much that goes into the scouting. What is the hardest thing 
to be able to determine about a player even after this process. Yeah, it's exactly that. You know, like true character in life is how you treat people that can't help you. And you want to fill your locker room with selfless people that care deeply about one another and let other people get credit. And when you give them a lot of money, whatever their character is, good or bad, is going to come out even more so. So that to me is like it's the intangibles. We could all watch the tape, but how are they going to transition into the next level is always the most important thing. Mike Tannenbaum is our guest. Mike, we know mocks are just tools, but a lot of mock drafts have the Colts at 15 and Brock Bowers falling to him. Do you believe that a player of his caliber could fall that late in the draft? And how do you see him as a prospect as a whole? Yeah, I love him. I think he's a great mismatch. Put him in the slot. He'll be hard. You know, like he goes down the slot and you put a nickel on him, you run the ball, you put a linebacker on him, you throw the ball. Like he will create a lot of mismatches. He could be there, not because he's not a good player, but you're seeing like, you know, Dallas Turner just ran faster than Jalen Hurts. They had that, you know, great (laughs) graphic on. Um, You know, I think quarterbacks will certainly impact that. You know, I I could see four, maybe even five going before the Colts pick. So those things will actually push, be it Brock Bowers or some other good player, you know, down. Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN analyst, is our guest here at the Combine. Mike, I've asked this question a a lot, and we've been talking about it this week, but I want to get your perspective. The position that has the hardest ability to get a read on how it's going to translate from college to the pro game that's not quarterback yeah. is what? Yeah, the obvious one would be quarterback. You know, after that, like, you know, you, you, like tight end, for example, just going that, like that, Brock Bowers is just physically bigger than a lot of guys he's playing against in the SEC, even at, at the SEC level. But, you know, take Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore is a really good player. Like, Kenny Moore matched up against Brock Bowers is a lot different you know than what he's dealt with and then like to me the other one is is the linebacker position because you know in college it's such a space game and you know by and large you could be 225 230 pounds but look you're playing the 49ers like they're gonna run the ball you know like you're seeing some teams like that they will run the ball to varying degrees and like the linebacker still has to be able to fit up in the hole, take on blocks, you know, disengage and shed. And those are things they don't have to do a lot of anymore in college. In your opinion, is Indianapolis closer than we think, or do they have a lot of holes that still need to be filled? No, I think they're closer. And here's why I was screaming from the mountaintops that Anthony Richardson shouldn't play a year ago, because you want that to be a 10-year decision, not a 10-month decision. And for all the wrong reasons, you never want to see a player get hurt. The fact that he was able to redshirt for a year, like, look how it turned out for Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he's going to be Mahomes, but Chad Pennington sat for us at the Jets for two years. I've just seen it over and over again. Let them learn, you know, in the NFL. So to me, um, I think his future is limitless, and I love the fact that he sat for you. Have we seen enough of Richardson at this point to understand the body of work and make a decision about whether he's the guy? No, but I, I'm really encouraged. There's just not a lot of people on the planet that are built that way, and you know they can have a real difference maker, and you need that to compete in the AFC. Why does every general manager say post-draft that the board fell exactly how we wanted it to? <laughs> and has there ever been a moment in your career where you've said that where it wasn't really the case? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Well, we, Quentin Copels was a guy that, you know, we liked at the Jets, but we thought for sure we were going to get Bruce Irvin. And um, Seattle took him two spots ahead of us, and, and it was catastrophic. But, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I think everybody has a story like that. We are here at the NFL Draft. Mike Tannenbaum is our guest. I want to get back to Indianapolis, and, and Bowers in particular seems to be the guy that we are all talking about. What other glaring needs does Indianapolis have that 15 could be a spot that they can get a good player at? Yeah, like for me, it's corner. Like you want to get like another frontline difference-making corner, and someone will be there. Kool-Aid McKistry, Quinion Mitchell, like somebody will be there for them. And I know, you know, in Gus Bradley's defense, you're like you're going to rush four and you're going to play a lot of zone. But to me, like you still want to have a frontline man-to-man corner outside the numbers. Um, and to me, they'll, they'll be a great corner there. Mike Tannenbaum is our guest. Mike, this wide receiver class is viewed as incredibly deep. Where, where do you see the most value in terms of that late first round or early second? Brian Thomas. You know, he's T. Higgins to me. He's 6'4". He could run. You know, so, like, to me, like, there and, – and that could impact whether or not Indy tags Michael Pittman. Pippen's a great player, but if you could get, you know, let's say Brian Thomas, and now we could take that resources and plow it into our offensive line, or, you know, again, something on defense, like that's something that I'm sure Chris Ballard going to take a long look at. Doesn't it feel like the Colts still need one more open space guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody does, I guess, yeah, right? Sure. But, but the Colts, you know, I, I think of Pittman, Mike, as a 
possession is selling him short because he is a dynamic player. Yep. But he's not necessarily the yards after catch guy, I think, that we see with the burn speed of other guys. Right. Does this draft have those guys that could be available even into round two? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Malachi Corley comes to mind. Like, he's a great, like, run after catch guy, like the way you described it. So, um, the one thing about Michael Pittman, like Michael Evans, he scores points. You know, like, so there's always going to be a premium for those guys. But that's why I would take, to your point, I would take Malik Neighbors over Marvin Harrison because of the – I think Marvin Harrison's Larry Fitzgerald. I think Malik Neighbors is like Tyreek Hill, and that's why I would give him, you know, the uh, the slight edge there. Were you at UMass when John Calipari got there? Uh, yes, I, I was. Were you at UMass when Tony Barbie, North Central Star, got there? Or was that after you? Yeah, no, he was there at the same time. Yeah. I remember when Tony Barbie committed in high school, and we're like, John Calipari, UMass. What? Yeah, yeah. Now all of a sudden you can tell people proudly you were at UMass back in the birth, right? I, I call uh, UMass the Dream Academy. It allowed me to pursue my dreams. And there was a woman, wonderful woman. She's still there to this day, a woman named Lisa Master Alexis. And uh, she believed in me and gave me, like, real hopes that, hey, I could do this one day. And uh, I do a lot with the program because uh, she impacted my life so much. Well, I'll tell you what. We appreciate it and certainly enjoy Indianapolis while you're here. All right? All right. Thanks so much, guys. Right, thanks, Mike, Mike Tannenbaum from ESPN and, of course, NFL executive. Dolphins 2015 to 2018. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I feel like now we should whisper because we're like the only people left in here other than people writing. I was going to ask if it's because my suit is so loud. You feel like you have to counteract that's, it that by too. whispering. Uh, that's a very bright pink, right? Is it fuchsia? I think it's fuchsia. I think Lara that'd be Overton. accurate. Yeah. That is the voice of Lara Overton, by the way, uh, who, of course, you hear on the Colts broadcast, working the sidelines and working for the Colts, joining us here at the NFL Combine. And it, it is... Now, Lara, you, you tell me, because I'm confused by this. I mean... The combine runs through next week, right? Through Monday, yeah. So why is everybody, is it just because everybody has flights back home tonight? Like, why did everybody bail? Because once all of the on-field workouts begin, there's very limited opportunities. There are very limited opportunities of what you can do and capture. Because the NFL Network is running everything from, like, the on-field perspective. So really the greatest benefit for many of the teams is when they come and they get their general manager and their head coach during those availabilities. And that's the first two days, right? Exactly. That's the early part. So that's where you're getting the majority of your content and then you know you're also grabbing national media personalities who are here for other content as well some teams will cover the player availabilities but from my perspective there's very little that you're able to do with any of that and content that, the player availabilities go on beyond just today oh yeah those will continue but if you're with a team you don't have much you can really do with any of that content, right? Because you don't want to, the team won't let, want you to post a ton about whoever, insert player here because right. it would appear to be People speculation. It, right? right, exactly. Like if you're the Chicago Bears and you're posting tons of Caleb Williams content, it gets a little, you know, muddies the water. So, so you don't have anything to do here is what we're getting at, right? I mean, you don't have to tell everybody that I'm just, I mean, let's, let's broadcast that. But no, we, uh, we've wrapped pretty much everything up. We got a ton of stuff early in the week. I know Matt Taylor and Casey Valia and Jeffrey Gorman were getting a ton of radio interviews with different people. We were grabbing some interviews with people as well for some work that we have over the next few weeks and uh, obviously got Chris Ballard and, you know, did all of that. And so, yeah. And Shane Steichen's been under the weather, right? Has not yet spoken, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, and I don't know, and I don't mean, I mean, you're not working PR for the Colts, I realize, but um, did that just get shelved, basically, or is there still the possibility that he talks at some point? You will get an update from our PR department on that. That, is, that information is coming. So. Okay, there we go. More yeah. stressful or less stressful than last year when all the talk was, what are they going to do with a quarterback? Is this the year? And now yeah. it's more or less, you know, they go defense or offense. Well, I think it is It is less stressful because not only is it, oh, you have fourth overall pick, you obviously need to resolve your quarterback situation, but also at that point, Shane had been on the job for two weeks. He was still hiring assistant coaches yeah. at that point in time. So what a difference a year makes when, you know, you have all of those things. Plus, it was what's going to happen with Jonathan Taylor and his situation. Now the biggest talking point is, okay, you have these free agents, and what are you going to do about Michael Pittman, which obviously Chris addressed when he spoke on Wednesday. And here's the thing, Larry. And listen, you work for the Colts. I don't want to put you in a bad spot here. But by all account, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. Chris Ballard all but said, and it takes two to tango, of course, clearly the Colts are very interested. Clearly, the Colts are resigned to doing everything they can 
including possibly the tag, to keep Michael Pittman Jr. here. But I do think that Michael Pittman also wants to be here, right? Like, I don't think it's going to take a huge selling point, it's going to take a big price tag, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just kind of the going right. That's what Chris indicated at his season-ending presser when he said, you know, no matter what the price of gas is, you still have to fuel up the car, right? There's just, that's what the market value is for certain positions. And then one of the most valuable um you know, bits that we got from Chris's availability was really off the podium when he did his scrum after the fact and Mike Chappell presented it perfectly and he said, come September, do you expect Michael Pittman Jr. to be here and be on this roster? And, you know, that was exactly I believe how uh, Chap presented it. Do you ever think it's weird that at the gas pump there's three kinds of gas but it all comes out of the same truck? I've always found that weird. You're you're trusting that this guy is turning the right valve, and that 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 tank that that truck is three different tanks. I don't. I'm a conspiracy theorist on this. I don't believe that. You got the you got the premium folks, right? And then you got the middle. Sure. And who gets the middle? Because the premium is for the premium car, right? (laughs) Yeah. The 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 regulars for just like the regular guy. Who, Who who gets the middle? Like, who's like, you know, yeah, I, I kind of like the middle one, right? Like, wh- wh- what I, is that? Like, is that a Honda? Like, who, who gets the middle? I don't I don't know. No, I feel like we should. I, I so, had a so Honda then, at one point. I never went to the middle. So right, it's not of Honda, course, so right? I don't know. I don't so, know it, now, here's the thing. So, it, it, like, it's really, if, you, if you're doing the premium, then it means, like, oh, wow. Like, you know, you're driving the upper echelon car, right? Yeah. Well, and it even says premium fuel only. Okay. And then if you're just a normal Joe and you drive a normal Joe car, you're like, whatever, the 89's fine with me. Who gets the middle? <laughs> I don't I'll know. do research during the break. It's actually that. a good question, isn't it? It, it actually now, is. And, now, and then, I, now I hate this, Jake, because now I'm going to pull right. it and I'm going to get gas. And I used to just do this mindlessly right. and just whatever, right. you know, tap the card well, and get it and go. Now I'm going to fixate on this. Yep. I'm going to be observing. Well, I'm going to be looking gonna, around. Here's the other you thing know. you're going to fixate on. You're going to be getting gas. And, and now I'm going to report to you and I'm going to text this. And I'm like, here's the guy getting the media. Right? Like, the big truck's going to pull up, and that guy gets out, and it's got one hose that comes off of it. Now, it tells you that it's got three knobs that he turns. And one of them, he's putting the 89 in the ground, and then he turns a different knob, and the 93's going, mm-hmm. and then, like, the 97. How do we know that? I think you would see a big spike in news stories of engine malfunctions if that was not a trustworthy process, right? Unless they all actually just run off the same mm-hmm. thing, and you're just led to believe the Lambo needs something different. Fair point. I'm telling you. Fair point. I'm telling you right now. Like, now I, I'm wondering what are other things that all kind of have that same method of disbursement. You know, like are there other okay. things that well, are yeah the soda machines right, that you the soda that machine where you was pick, my it was my first one. That was want. the first thing one. I thought. Yeah. Okay, yeah. now here's the other thing though. Why is it? I've always wondered this. This keeps me awake at night. And as you know, I'm an insomniac, right? <laughs> you because are. I probably have texted you like two in the morning. Uh-huh. Quick question. But here's my question. So, why is gas, I think it might be the only thing on earth that the price for it is not determined by what it costs to produce it, but what costs to replace it. Why is that not the case? Like, you buy a cotton shirt, right? Okay. You buy a cotton shirt, and, and it's like, well, it's 1999. Why is it 1999? Because it costs $6 to make it, and we need a 1399 whatever, right? They don't, they don't prognosticate like some hurricane in, in Mississippi that might actually increase the price of cotton and mm-hmm. say, like, well, now, actually, that shirt's $38 because if you seen the weather had, forecast. I actually had no idea that's how gas prices worked. But anyway, gas prices, I should pay more attention to that. You need both. You need both. But I, gas prices are always instantly impacted by, like, all of a sudden, you get an alert that's like gas is going up 35 cents because there's bad weather in the Gulf, and so they can't get to some of the... Or da, it's da, da, just da, it's Memorial right? Day weekend and everyone's driving. That, too. Yeah. It's all, it's, exactly. Yeah. Right? I mean, everybody's like, I can't believe gas prices are going up. I'm like, I can't. It's about to be warm out and people are going on vacation. <laughs> is that how hard. people should start setting their value then? It's like, this like is this. how much it would cost to replace well, you. I like you this. Know? I like this too. I like the people that are like, you, you know, bargain. I wish we could go back to 2020 when gas was $1.80. I'm like, gas was $1.80 because none of us were allowed to go anywhere, <laughs> right? So if we all just want to sit at home for 90 days and do nothing but Zoom calls and whatever else, who wants to Don't do that again? Don't ever take back there. Right. No. Keep, I mean, that's the point, keeping right? Keeping with the car analogy. As I steer us back to the Colts for just a second, <laughs> how much did Shane? I think we've gotten completely I know, off the yeah, rails. I, I, I appreciate that's, what I do. That's, back, a, that's a Tuesday. Yeah, that doesn't. We're, yeah. we're fine. How much did last season, if you're looking at it from a glass half pull perspective, and Lara Overton of Colts.com is our guest, Colts Radio Network. How much did the injury of Anthony Richardson last season and taking away a key lep, key weapon like that allow Shane Steichen 
to show his coaching prowess, to show why, whether it's schematically, whether it's by design, that he is indeed the guy for this job. I think what it showed you most is, yes, that, but it also was just, this is how unflappable this guy is and how no matter what happens over the course of an NFL season, he can handle all of those curveballs that you're thrown as a head coach and did it so fluidly in his very first season of doing that. That's one of the things I think was most impressive about it is because, you know, obviously he's just Shane went in and he's like, these are the guys that I have. Here's the 11 guys that I have. And I'm going to make the most of week in and week out. And there was never, you know, you always hear Chris will say he didn't flinch, right? Didn't flinch, doesn't panic. He takes what he's given and makes it work. And I think that is one of the most impressive things he showed over the course of, you know, last season with everything that was coming at him, right? Jonathan Taylor's on IR, then Jonathan Taylor gets the extension, then, you know, it's Anthony's out, and then Grover Stewart's suspended. I mean, we could go through, we've rehashed all of these same storylines yeah. over and over, but Chris was completely, or sorry, Shane was completely even, approached each week the same way, gave this team a chance to win week in and week out, whether it was, you know, what happened with Anthony, or whether it was something that happened on the defensive side of the ball, or it was, you know, the topsy-turvy, you know, the way that games played out, and, you know, things were just completely unpredictable, as they seem to always Yeah, be. I mean, he was, he was able to show off at times, and this play was a microcosm of that, and I get it, people were mad, and I'm not trying to reignite the debate, but like whether people like it or not, the fourth and one where Tyler Goodson drops the ball, mm-hmm. that's a modern day NFL play call. Yeah. That's a play Kansas City, Miami, like teams that it was have set that up lifestyle. Like, if, yeah. like that that's what you call in that situation mm-hmm. in the modern NFL on fourth and one. And like that's just a microcosm of his play calling ability where it's like he did that with to your point that roster mm-hmm. and assuming that Richardson's healthy this year it wasn't his fault the another, execution correct, was off right it, there's enough that pops on tape where it's like man imagine when there's real weapons here mm-hmm. what this offense is going to do right I'm thinking about the like the Pittsburgh game mm-hmm. right when Pittman gets hurt and you have DJ Montgomery and you know all of these guys who were jumping in at that point Goodson had a great game yeah. you know in, in that as well you had all sorts of guys who were stepping up at that period of time and you made it work and you got a win and, and all of those things yes I think you can point to a number of those things. I mean, even with Richardson, when you had him, look at the Rams game. Oh, man. And what you were able to do in the second half of that game to force overtime against Matthew Stafford and an eventual playoff-bound L.A. team. So there are a lot of those situations that, that I think you can point to. And, yeah, I think that you solidified that this franchise is not only headed in the right direction, but it's in the right hands to guide it there. Lara, we have seen with the Colts in the past Mm -hmm. the ability to build a defense based upon what you knew they were going to have to be up against because the offense was going to score a lot of points in other words we talked to bill polian about this when dwight freeney got selected to the hall of fame they knew that that pass rush would be good for them because teams would be likely trailing Mm -hmm. early because peyton manning would get quick points so teams were going to have to throw right Do you feel like or get a read with this particular installment of the way the team is being built that they are going to front load offense to then make it easier to figure out what they need defensively or are they going to balance the building of the two and try to have it more 50-50? That's interesting. I think that you aim for more balance than what that is. I think that the way that the league has gone, it has kind of gone that way. Well, we saw it with you Kansas know, City, right? You, I mean, this you, year, defense was as you much... You saw it with right. Kansas City. I do think that in the, in the era that you are right now, and this is where we sit you know, March 1 of 24, and it could in 12 months swing a different way or in 24 months. And that's one thing that in talking with Gus Bradley about uh, last offseason, he was talking about that defensively, you're trying to evolve basically one year ahead of where offenses are evolving to. You're trying to put yourself ahead of where they are and anticipate where they are going. So I think with that, it probably will be more balanced, especially with the way that Chris Ballard has built teams with, he builds from the trenches, builds from the line, really reinforces that group with all of that. Um, I do, I do think that it is probably going to be more even from that standpoint because, you know, those offenses that you had during that era were so very unique, right? And we have seen that defenses just don't. It, it's so different with the way, like you mentioned, like Kansas City, with the way that the teams who have been successful, the way that they are built, I think, indicates more balance between those two position groups, I think. Lara, what do you think it will mean for this town? Lara Overton is our guest, of course, with the Colts. What do you think it will mean for this city 
and quite frankly for for young girls and women of sports in this city of which you work in that arena as a female to have Caitlin Clark coming to Indianapolis. Oh, I mean, the attention, the excitement in general that she has built across, and not just college basketball, but just, it, you know, women in basketball, she has created, you know, such a, a platform for, I think it will, and, you know, we've been really spoiled, too, by the success that the Fever had with all the, I mean, with Tamika and what she has done, right? Like, I think that we have had opportunities, maybe sooner than a lot of fan bases to admire. I think about, you know, Katie Douglas and her career and what she did. Right. And, you know, just there have been a number of them, um, you know, already in this organization. And I think that's part of what makes it such a great fit. Not even, you know, that they have the first overall pick and the opportunity to get her. But I feel like that there is somewhat of a, you know, organic seems to be overused. But it is an organization that will be built well to support her and a fan base that will embrace her. I think anyone would. But especially especially with what it means here. But yeah, I think about, you know, the fact that there are young girls, you know, I not to equate, but think about how much of a storyline it was for the Super Bowl. Dads and their daughters who are Taylor Swift fans. Well, Scott Long made the, the comparison earlier that she is the Taylor Swift of basketball. I can see that. I, mm-hmm. I think that, sure. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's an unprecedented level of energy for a female athlete, I think it's transcendent mm-hmm. because Stephanie White was a great player. Yeah. Tamika Catchings was a great player. But when they came into the league, they appealed primarily to fans like of the Fever or yeah. maybe of Purdue. Caitlin Clark, I think, is the first that brings non-women's basketball fans that are interested. I mean, the TV numbers support it, right? Right. Well, and I, I think, too, that now it is, okay, these are young girls who a year ago were watching the NCAA tournament and watching her and following her and seeing these great battles, of course. And now, you know, they've been following it more and more. And then it's going to be, you know, hey, it's a Tuesday night. We want to go down to the field house and we want to do this. And because of not just TV, but because of the connectivity that kids have that you know so now you know they're watching highlights on twitter or it's on instagram it's in their feeds all the time it doesn't even have to just be uh, you know they're not sitting and maybe watching a regular season iowa game but they see the highlights and they see her break the scoring record and you know all those different things that have created just more and more touch points for people to be familiar with or be excited about her all of those things so yeah now you do have whether it's you know maybe it's you're pulling up a seat and you're watching you know the wnba draft just to watch this happen and then you're finding a game to go to or watching it on I mean, tv whatever Steph it is Curry-esque, though. like watching her play mm-hmm. is like holy cow but uh, you know i i just think i'm gonna make this prediction i made it off the top of the show they're gonna sell out i'm going to predict that the indiana fever are going to sell out their allotment of season tickets now am i crazy oh no i don't think so i don't think that's crazy because i you know i think too that there is a draw and and you know really fever tickets are are very affordable you know in the platform gone up. Well, but I mean, across, they know what doing, right? but mm-hmm. if you're going to buy if you're going to buy tickets to a professional sporting event speaking correct right correct. that's one of the more accessible things that you do and you know hey maybe you know you live in New Albany Indiana where I grew up and it's still worth it to buy a, a buy season tickets and you're going to split them with another family or you're going to do maybe whatever it is because you're within driving distance to be able to go hey two hours to go watch this show put on display it's worth it for us so it's not just you know central Indiana that has that appeal you have that entire reach you know across the state of uh of what it is and what it will be with her and, and the excitement that there is behind it. Um, I was just thinking of something when you were talking about, you know, Steph Curry-esque, but yeah, and I've lost I know what you were thinking about. What you were thinking about is if you're in New Albany or you're in Iowa and yeah. you're driving to come see Caitlin Clark and you stop at the gas station, <laughs> yes, it, so, who's yeah. getting the middle? Here's right? the other thing. Oh, here's what I was going to say, too. I look at how many of our players, how many Colts players have shown up on – the sidelines of fever games prior to, you know, right, just going right. because they have already, even prior to this, they have young daughters that they want to expose to. I think about how many games Shaq Leonard showed up to. Kenny Moore has been a staple. Zaire Franklin has gone to games before. So what I'm excited for, too, is all of this crossover with 
the Colts being in this position with, you know, a, a young, exciting quarterback, the direction they're headed, obviously the Pacers and what they are doing right now and the excitement surrounding Tyrese Halliburton. And then you add, you know, in addition to Aaliyah Boston, now you have Caitlin Clark. So just kind of all of all of these organizations and, yeah. and what the time this is for Indiana and Indianapolis sports in general and for all of those organizations, all of those athletes to support one another. Uh, the next, finally, Lara, the next, I guess, benchmark in the calendar of this process for the mm-hmm. Colts is going to be what? The, the I mean, obviously you've got. Yeah. Well, the start of free agency. And the tag as well, right? Right. So yeah. we, we'll find out when it. Uh, the free agency begins when? The free agency period. March 15th? I okay. say, March is, am I? You're right. It's like it's the 15th it's, or 14th. Yeah. It's right yeah. there. I always, I, I little bit, for, I, I don't want to say I forget, but I, it's always a little loose because um, what we what the past has told us is that typically Chris is not going to be hyper aggressive in those first few days. They usually let that initial wave get through of kind of signing the the free agents across the league and then you know the Colts will start to make their own moves with the priority being on re-signing your own of those to be determined uh, there are a lot out right. there in addition to Michael Pittman Kenny Moore the second Grover Stewart Julian Blackman don't Zach Moss for, don't forget my man Rigoberto Rigo Come on now. absolutely That's can right. never forget Rigo Lara appreciate it enjoy the weekend all right thank I know you're you gonna be so out here much. a lot